theyeshiva.net. Excellent. Good morning, everybody, and Bruchai Shabbai is welcome. Anyway, we commend everybody for observing this morning the commandment of Lech Lecha, Me'artzacha, from your comfortable homes and living rooms and dining rooms where you could sit on the couch and meditate about the oneness of God. And you took the trek through the rainy weathers to come discover truth with a capital T. We're going to explore today a uh, deeply moving and intriguing Pasuk in Parshas Lech Lecha. For those who have a Chumash, I'll read it inside. For those who don't, you can listen to it from uh, outside. It's Bereshus Perik Tesvav Pasuk Hey, Chapter 15, Verse 5. The bench is wet. Boom. And the theme has been Avram Avinu lamenting to Hashem and saying, what are you giving to me when ultimately I'm childless? And who runs my home? Eliezer. He calls him Damasek Eliezer in Pasuk Beis. Damasek Eliezer, he runs my home. Why don't you move to Eastern Parkway? <coughs> so Avram says, you haven't given me a child. Only the man who runs my home will inherit me. And this is where Hashem says, he will not uh, inherit you. Somebody who comes out of your womb, in other words, of you and your wife's womb, your child will inherit you. And this is the moment when Pasuk Hay, the context be- behind Pasuk Hay, he takes him outside. Apparently they were communicating indoors. Maybe it was raining outside. Like this morning. Maybe it was pouring. They were communicating indoors. He takes Avram outside. In other words, what's going to be said can't be said inside. It has to be said outside. By Yoimir, he says, have it now, Shemaim, look up to the heavens. Well, now we understand why it can't be uh, said inside. I want you to count the stars. Will you be able to count them? Count them and see if you can count them. By Yoimir, and he tells him, So will be your children. And the next passage says, Vehemin Bashem, he believed in God. And Hashem considered it as a tzdaka for him, as a special, uh, a special righteous act that he believed in God. Because under natural circumstances, he was an old man and didn't look like he can have a child, never mind a nation that's large. So Rashi asks, why did he have to take him outside? So on a literal level, Rashi says, you can't see the stars indoors. As we said, so he goes out, he says, look up and count the stars. Can you count them? 
And thus will your children be. And then Rashi gives another interpretation. Go out of your astrological signs where you saw in your constellations that you're not going to have a child. Avram Avinu either went or he himself was a great astrologist. And based on the astrological signs of the zodiac, as it's known, different mazolis, when you're born, your wife is born, which mazel, which hour, so that determines a lot of your life, your habits, your your issues, your destiny. Today, a lot of people are also into it. So he said, leave. When he takes him outside, it's not only literally come outside of the tent, it also means go outside of your paradigm, go outside of your way of looking at the world, of your feelings and convictions that this is the way it is, this is your destiny, leave it, come out, and you'll see that the heaven, the sky is the limit, so to speak, which is a very nice shot, no? Yeah, come out of the Acher paradigm, yeah. She's comparing it to another class that I gave about. Them. And then Rashi gives a third shot. He picked them up beyond the stars. And he said, look down. Habit means there's lehistakel to look up and there's lahabit is to look down. So he picked them up higher. Higher than the earth. And even higher than some of the stars. Higher than the stars. And he says, look down. So, of course, you have to take him out. So, these are the three interpretations in Rashi. And afterwards, he tells him three words. So will your children be. What does it mean, so will your children be? How will your children be? That you won't be able to count them? Why, you can't count the Jews? You can count the Jews. In fact, in every generation, you could count the Jews. If you can count the Chinese, you could count the Jews. <laughs> I mean, they even count the Chinese. They can't count the Jews. You can count the Jews. Well, that's not a great blessing. Is that what he's promising? <laughs> he's promising we're not going to know who's Jewish. We're talking about a blessing, a promise. So obviously it's a great promise. Look at the stars. Count them. See if you can count them. That's how your children will be. Or... Somebody was, it's, just meta, it's just moral language. In other words, there'll be a lot of them. Since there'll be a lot of them, so of course you could technically count it, but it's difficult to count. You don't want to count. It's not small numbers. Yet, the Pusik still remains a bit enigmatic because he says, look up to the heaven, count the stars. Can you count them? So does he want them to count the stars or not? He could have said, look up to heaven, can you count the stars? He doesn't say, he says, count them. And then, can you count them? And that's how your children will be. Excuse me, isn't Parshish supposed to be less than the Right. In Parshish, in the Sefer Dvarim, he says, I haven't chosen you because of your quant- great numbers and quantity. You're the minority of the nations. In other words, there's almost a promise in Chumash that you'll never be the majority of the world. You'll never even be 50%. You'll always be ma'at. And and I have chosen you knowing that. I haven't chosen you because of numbers, because with you, I get the numbers. I don't get the numbers with you. I get the minority with you. I've chosen you for other reasons. 
Right. In other places, the dust of the earth, here's the stars of heaven, which are also numerous. <laughs> so there's a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of different perushim, many different commentaries on this pasuk, but we'll discuss one. In Parshas Nasai, we have Birchus Kayanim. Vaydaber Hashem al Moshe Lemer. David al Aaron al Bon of Lemer. You remember the next words? Koisivarach who was Bnei Yisrael. Thus shall you bless the Jewish people. Emor lahem. Yivarechicha Hashem biyishmerach. Yoyir Hashem ponav elacha vichunaka. Yisa Hashem ponav elacha. What do you say? I remember that. It sounds like a straightforward posik. Hashem tells Moshe, tell, speak to Aaron and his children, the Kayanim. This is how they shall bless the Jews. And he gives them the blessing. And indeed, those three verses became the fixed Nusach, version of Birchas Kayanim, from then until today, when the Kayanim get up to bless the Jews in Eretz Yisrael every single day. And in Chutzlar, it's only on Yom Tif. Pesach and Shvu, Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. They say the Nusach of Birchas Kayanim. But Rebbe once said, If I would be lucky, I would, in other words, he wished on himself, to inst- reinstitute Birchus Kayanim also in Chutzlarts every day. He didn't do it, but he wished on himself that he would have shut it up. The Alter Rebbe once said. In other words, he wanted to should be Birchus Kayanim in Chutzlarts. He didn't go for it further for whatever reason. But the bottom line, it's Israel, they do it in every day. And there's also some Kehillahs, the Svardim and others that also do it more often. Some Svardish Kehillahs, I believe, also. Shabbos, yeah. In in Eretz Yisrael, it's every day, not only Shabbos. Every shul, every shul, yeah. Even in Bat Ayin. Huh? Everybody says in Berchas Hashach, but it's not Kayanim. We're talking about Kayanim. The Chazan also does it in Chazaras Hashach. In Chutzlaritz, but that's the Chazan, that's not the Kayan. He just repeats it, but the Kayanim actually bless. There's a Medrash Rab over there on the words Kaysevarachu. In Nasa, yeah, Kaysevarachu. And the Medrash. Compares that koi and says that it's connected to the schus, to the merit. Why did the Jews merit Birchis Kayanim? Because of Koyi Zarecha. And because of Ramavinu next week will say to his two lads, Aniva Hanar Nelcha Ad Koi. By the Akedah, he's going with Yitzchak. He says, me and my youngster, the lad, will go at Koi till here. We will bow down and come back to you. 
when they go to the Mariah, where he goes with the escort. He has Yishmael, Eliezer, and Yitzchak. So at some point, he sees the place from far. He tells them, you wait here with the donkey. Aniva, Hanar, me, and Yitzchak, Nelcha, Adkoi. We'll go till here and we'll come, we'll bow down and we'll come back. As Rashi says, We shall return to you, in plural. Although his objective was not to return with Yitzchak, but he says, We shall return with you. So that's another koi. So Rashi says, Sometimes you say something comes from a subconscious place. You didn't consciously process it, but it comes out. Now, what's in, what in the world is the connection between the Koyi is Arecha, Aniva, Nar, Nelchat, Koy, to Koy, Savarach, or Brichas, Koy, Finally, have the word Koy, Koy means thus. That's what Koy means, thus. Here, thus. What's the connection? Now, if we count the words of Berchus Kayanim, how many words are there in Berchus Kayanim? So you have Yivarechicha, Hashem v'Yishmerecha, Yoyer Hashem, Ponav Elecha v'Chunecha, Yisa Hashem, Ponav Elecha, v'Yosim Lecha Shalom. It's 15, Tasvav, which is the name of Hashem Yudke. Then you have a Samu, S, Shemi, Al Bnei Yisrael, Va'ani avarachem. Right? How does he start it? Kaisavarachu as Bnei Yisrael. Amr lahem. This is what you should say to them. From Amr, what you should say to them. Till the end is 25 words. Which is again, Chafhei, Kaisavarachu. Kaisavarachu as Bnei Yisrael. And then begins a statement which continues for 25 words, which is the numerology of the word When you think about the words of Ram says in the Akedah, grammatically it's incorrect. He should have said, Koi means here. You don't tell somebody, wait here for me. We're going till here and then we'll come back. We're going till there and then we'll come back. He says, which is here. Like Khan here. So it's strange actually that he uses the word Kai. And thus, the Medrash sees that it's like a significant choice of words. And it's connected to Kai Yezarecha. And it's connected to Birchis Kai and Kai One of the explanations in all of this. has to do with a very novel interpretation that has been presented on this Pasuk with which we began the Shia. If he just wants to make the point, if God just wants to make the point that you can't count the stars, he doesn't have to take him out. He could tell him, Avram Avinu, you know the stars, you can't count them. You won't be able to count your children. What is this, uh, a second grade uh, school trip? <laughs> Come, we're going to look at the stars now. Can you count them? He takes them out and he says, count the stars. Can you count them? First he tells them, count them. Then he says, can you count them? Even if you want to take him outside to make it visual, take him outside, tell him, look up. Can you count the stars? He doesn't say that. He says, 
then im tuchalisper oisom. So and it's so funny. You tell somebody start counting, and then you right away say, "But you can't count it." So what is this again? A third grade experiment. We're going to start counting till we realize we can't count it. So I've already been stood counting and counting and counting, and then he says, "And by the way, this is how your children will be." The pshat, of course, is that it's this very paradox which he is conveying about your children. Is not just a quantity statement. Because as you said, the Jews are a minority. Number one. Number two, in every generation, the Jews could be counted. Before the war, there were 18 million Jews. Give or take. Right? After the war was a third less, after the Second World War. You could count the Jews that are assimilated, so you can't count them. That's not a great blessing that you can't count them. It's because they're assimilated. <laughs> so they're not Jewish, or their, their grandchildren won't be Jewish. Now, in the other generations, there were much less Jews. There were much less Jews. And we have Rakao, you, you could count them. People, you could count. I mean, there's a size to the earth. And everyone occupies space. More than a statement about quantity, it's a statement about quality and destiny. If you were in your house, and I would come into your house, and I would say, you know, I have a great task for you. I'd like you to come outside and count stars. Or I'd like you to come outside and count the specks of dust that you could do inside also. But count, count, uh, count the earth. What is it called? Gargir Chayla. Huh? Grains. Grains of sand. So most people will say, listen. This is not, huh? Thank you very much for the invitation. But it's not really something I can do. And therefore it's not something that I want to do or waste my time. Hashem tells Avram, come outside, start counting. So what did Avram do? He started to count. <laughs> he said, count the star, he started to count. So he said, that's how your children will be. Huh? That's how your children will be. They're not going to ask, are stars countable or not? They're not going to ask that. And since they're not going to ask that, they'll actually be able to count stars. In other words, I told you to count stars. He started to count. He says, That's how your children will be. They will not be defined by the impossible. A general Montgomery once said, the difficult we do immediately, the impossible takes a little longer. Here the impossible doesn't take long. <laughs> Count stars, he starts counting. He says, Now this is not a small thing. There's a very deep philosophical insight, depth there. I once read an article by Professor Brower from Montreal, from McGill University. And he described a cartoon that he saw as a child. Maybe some of you saw it as well, I don't know. But he said from the 10,000 or 20,000 cartoon shows that he watched as a child on television or wherever, he saw them. there was one cartoon that he never realized as a child that it would teach him a deep lesson about Judaism. 
So in this cartoon, as usual, there's two boar birds who are fighting with each other. There's one perpetrator and one bird who is uh, who's running. Huh? Yeah. Anyway, there is this uh, or cat or whatever one of these creatures. What is it? A coyote? Uh, I think it's a coyote. I think it was a coyote. I don't remember. If somebody who saw the cartoon, you'll correct me. Huh? I read an article of somebody who saw it. I didn't see the cartoon myself. I think it's... Be- huh? Oh, you remember it? Okay, Roadrunner, Coyote, she saw it. Don't worry, I won't tell. It's fine. Uh, and the coyote is chasing, right? Who is the coyote chasing? A bird. Anyway, the coyote happens to be particularly dumb, I believe, right? That's what the coyote was known for, particularly dumb coyote. So this bird outsmarts uh, outsmarts uh, the coyote. And uh, as the coyote is chasing the bird, they're reaching a cliff. The bird realizes it right away, so the bird takes a sharp turn, hides behind the rack. The coyote doesn't realize and jumps off the cliff, running after the bird. And in the cartoon, the coyote is running and running in the ear off the cliff. And then after a few minutes, the coyote realizes it's looking for the bird. Where's the bird? So it turns around, and it sees the bird there at the edge, waving to the coyote. And the coyote looks at the bird, looks at itself, looks down, and begins to fall. And I guess that's where the cartoon must end. Now, the poor dumb coyote was a coyote. But what's the, but the, but, but the question one asks is, how did it fly for those few minutes? How did it walk for those few minutes? So, ask Shilas on a cartoon, right? So, Professor Brower has an interesting mind. So he says it's very simple. For those few minutes, the coyote was unaware of the laws of gravity. It was unaware where it was. It did not know that it's supposed to fall. And since it did not know it was supposed to fall, it did not fall. The moment it turned around and it acknowledged its limitation, it acknowledged that the bird is in safety and I am in danger, I'm in jeopardy. And it looked down and it said, oh my God, I can't live here. Indeed, it could not live there. To give another example, not of a cartoon, but of actual real life. For hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years, as long as we have historical records, nobody beat the maximum of all of the great athletes, but you could not run a mile faster than four minutes. Four minutes. Four minutes was the greatest athletes, the greatest runners, and Olympics are going on for many generations, far the Greeks and so forth. So there were those who make it, who do the mile in three hours, (laughs) and when they walk to Borough Park, and those who do the mile in four minutes, but nobody could do it less than four minutes. And this was a Yusoid, this was a Yusoid, there was no arguing with it. You could try, try, try for minutes. Suddenly in the 1950s, it was an English runner who broke it. Broke it. Three minutes and I think 56 seconds. He broke it. And suddenly in the last 30, 40 years, it's going lower 
and lower and lower. So everybody's wondering. For two, three thousand years, it was a cloud. Nobody can do it. Faster than four minutes? Suddenly, within 40, 50, 60 years, every few years, the last one was, I think, in 92 or 93, a new record. How does that happen? The answer is, why did they think nobody could do it less than four minutes? Because when we decide we can't do something, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You really can't. It's not fake. When you decide you can't do something then you really can't do it. Why can't you do it? Because you define yourself in a particular paradigm. And indeed, in that paradigm, you cannot do it. You're right. Try as hard as you want. The Friedrich Rebbe used to say, Mr. Snafresh can help jumping from a roof to the ground. You can't say, since I have Mr. Snafresh, I'm going to jump from the ground onto the roof. That's not Mr. Snafresh. It's fantasy and it's never going to happen. Why not Mr. Snafresh? Mr. Snafresh means that you can sacrifice yourself to achieve things, but it has to be within a certain context. Mr. Snefesh, I'll start flying, it's not going to happen. There's a certain context in which you operate, in which you live. You can pull it to the extreme. The extreme was four minutes. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. In other words, the limits that we perceive for ourselves truly become the limits, and then it's too late. Those are your limits, and there's nothing you can do to change it. Suddenly, this person in England, there was no limit. He questioned, he didn't know about it. He didn't know about it. And what happened? He did it faster. So suddenly everybody realized, there's really no limits. Now you say, now is the deadline. They said, oh, that's the deadline. A few years later, there's a new deadline. A few years ago, there was a new deadline. And there'll be yet another deadline. I'm not going to be the one who's doing it, I think. As far as running is concerned, and since I just did a self-fulfilling prophecy, I assume I really can't do it. But I'm sure there'll be somebody who hasn't heard any of the limits and will do it. Meaning? That once you know something, you limit the it defines part you. of you. Yeah, that's what Altair writes in Taylor. There's people out there that have that. The Altair says in Taylor that the serpent told Chava, you can't eat from the tree, because if you eat from the tree, you're going to become like God who knows good and evil. What happens? They eat from the tree, and the Pasuk says they become like God who knows good and evil. So the Rebbe says, what's the problem? If God could know it, why can't they know it? <laughs> so the Rebbe explains, and it says like the gods, it also means the angels know about good and evil. The Rebbe explains that the difference between a malach and a person is in his words, a malach is a makif, and a person is a pnimi, which means a human being is not a detached creature. Whatever we know becomes part of who we are. In other words, there's no such a thing by a person, I know something, but I don't experience it. If I know about it, it's part of my experience. Of course, there are levels in how much you experience something. You could, not every article you read about doesn't mean you experience what happened in that article, but it means that the knowledge becomes part of your experience. You're not the same person anymore. Only angels, and this is their disadvantage, they could know things, but they don't operate in a level of pnimi. Pnimi means you operate in a level that whatever touches you becomes internalized. For them, I could know something, but the knowledge is completely detached from me. It's completely abstract. It's totally not me. By a person, everything is internalized. Everything becomes pnimi.
So the moment you're aware of something, it's never the same like when you weren't aware. This doesn't mean you shouldn't be aware of it. You just have to know this. You see, in education, it's very important. In education, it's important. In other words, the moment a child knows something, that knowledge, which may be important, I'm not saying it's not, but one has to know that child already becomes part of the life of the child. It's not, it's not detached. There's the big argument, you remember, uh, when somebody in Israel, in the Philharmonic Orchestra, they chose to, Chacham, to play Wagner. Wagner. So, the, especially the many Holocausts are much more than today, but then even more were alive. And some of them were in Auschwitz, and they saw their loved ones being led to the gas chambers while Wagner was playing. So the, the Chasheva, the, 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 the brilliant liberals in Israel explained that you can't mix art. You can't mix art with, with, with anti-Semitism, with, with politics, with personal feelings. Although Wagner was an artist. The fact that he was an anti-Semite and the fact that Hitler loved him and his music was deeply inspirational, that has to do with their choice. But it doesn't affect... It doesn't affect the art, and even the fact that he was the composer was an anti-Semite doesn't affect his music. His music is pure art. The fact that in his personal life he was one thing or another thing, this is not true. It's not true in the world because a person is a pnimi. It's the my love a person. In other words, a person is holistic, even if we don't want to be holistic, and therefore, ultimately, everything contains everything. Just like my knowledge becomes part of my experience, it's the other way around also. My experience affects my knowledge. My experience affects my art. Maybe consciously, maybe very subtly. But it's present. So, this has a lot to do with the Eitz A person is a Pnimi. And the very knowledge of something, that also defines the person's experience. So therefore, back to the running, it was true for them. And it was not true for somebody else. Now, this has to do with another Madrash, a very deep Madrash. The Madrash says that on Tuesday, the Chumash says, on Tuesday, vegetation was created, produce, vegetation. What happens? Everything in the earth begins to grow. What else was created on Thursday? The minerals beneath the earth, including metals, metals, including iron. When the trees on Tuesday saw iron, they began trembling. Why? Because they realized this is the beginning of the end. Because trees are strong, but not in the presence of iron. So the trees began trembling because they realized that now there's someone, something, which can fell, which can destroy trees. So the Medrash says, God calmed down the trees. And what did God tell the trees? God said, don't be scared. They said, what do you mean we shouldn't be scared? The axe made of iron will fell us. And God said, there will never be an axe of iron which doesn't have a handle of wood. If this became an expression, a famous expression in Gemara, minei uvei ava lishadi bei narga which means from the very tree we create the handle of the axe which destroys the tree. How did he comfort the trees by that statement, which is obviously on some level symbolic, 
And the answer, what he was telling the tree is, you're worried that the iron will destroy you. The iron will not be able to destroy you if you do not give the axe your wood. Or to put it in very simple language, nobody can cut you down without your own participation. Without your own consent. Now you may say, what do you mean? This morning I was in the cleaners. <laughs> or this morning I was in the bank. Or this morning I was at home. I had a telephone call. Or got an email and somebody cut me down. They can try cutting you down, but they will not successfully cut you down if you didn't give them permission. It's only if you have already a certain image about yourself. The image may be subconscious, it may not be on the surface. And then somebody else says something, and it reinforces what you already believe deep down about yourself. Then they manage to cut you down only because you gave them the handle. Now, you may not tell them you're giving them the handle. You may say, I'm angry at them. But deep down, that itself is... That itself that they could make you so angry is because there's something in you that they got. But Bishas, the axe is coming completely on its own and you're not participating and there's no consent. Then nobody will cut you down. They could try to cut you down, but that's their problem. Cut you down, they won't. So the next time somebody really says something very, very obnoxious, I hope it won't happen, but it may happen in this lovely world of ours. And... Not in Crown Heights, of course, but probably in other places and so forth. Here, people are very, very nice. They say good morning to everybody. You see? Go, everybody. I know. I said, I was not. I said, good morning to somebody. She said, you know me? I said, good morning to somebody. Listen, whoever comes to this class is made of different material. We're not talking about that. We're talking about all the people that don't come here. So, uh, it doesn't have to do with Brooklyn, it has to do with New York. People are very edgy. They're very stressed out. They have not enough space. And they're very stressed. I understand that. I understand. Yeah, Shpilkas and then not enough therapists and so forth. So, here you have the same Nakuda. This doesn't mean that the iron doesn't want to destroy the tree, but it means that the tree has to be able to help the iron. The same is true in almost every area. Now, this is what happened. This is the story of Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu, I know it's not such a nice comparison, but just the idea I want to compare, not the physical comparison, can be compared to that coyote running off the cliff but with one difference, Avram never turned around. He never turned around. So it's not pshat, people say, why did miracles happen to Avram Avinu? Why did Nimrod throw him into a fiery furnace and he wasn't burnt? Avram didn't realize it was a miracle. We realize it was a miracle. In other words, the moment, and this is what we have to understand because this shocks our paradigm. When Hashem told Avram, Lech Lecha, he took it seriously. He actually took it seriously. We, everything we hear, we adapt to our paradigm, and therefore we impose our limitations on the message. Because it takes tremendous courage, and this is why only Avram was the first Jew, not me, to actually take it seriously. Everybody says, Lech Lecha, fine, I'll buy a first class ticket. Lech Lecha, why not? I'll book a room in the King David. I'll also do Lech Lecha, what's the big deal? You understand? We, this is the difference of, of our Judaism and Avram's Judaism. 
And it's important to understand, people think the difference between some people's Judaism and other is quantity. This guy does more minhagim. You know, this guy's hadas is a little longer. This guy, this woman lights 10 candles and I light one candle. This person says, uh, does shachas mincha mayriv? And this person does, you know, only uh, mincha once a year. Or only shach, whatever it is. This person, you know, when they have the dating questions, people ever call you? Does this, does that, does this, does that. Huh? You know what I mean? All these questions, there's lists and lists and lists and lists. And everybody's busy, where are you, you know, on the left. People don't understand, it's two different paradigms. It's not, it's not this more hidurim, less hidurim. Fine, it's another different, I'm not getting into that difference. It's a different paradigm. Avraham Avinu lived as a Jew. His paradigm was not human, His, was not earthly, was not nature. His paradigm was God. Lechlecha. So therefore, who says fire burns? And who says gravity exists? Of course gravity exists. When you acknowledge its existence, it exists. If you don't acknowledge its existence, who said it exists? God is not defined by it. So you could say, what do you mean? <laughs> Fine. God is not defined by it, but I am. You want me to jump off a cliff? That he empowered Avraham Avinu at that moment that his life should completely be permeated by that Ashkafa. There's only Ratzon Hashem. So when he says, come count the stars, you can't all count stars. He goes, he starts counting. Who say you can't count stars? Can you count them? So why are you counting them? That's the point. Depends on which level. So he says, This will be the story of your children. The story of your children is a story which often defies natural imagination. Which is the reason why so many historians have remained uh, baffled on the existence of the Jews and the secret of the Jewish influence. Which according to the rules of gravity and according to the rules of nature didn't often have a place. Sometimes yes, but often not. So, this will be the secret of your children. I told them, count stars, they can count stars. Not because, not because they're miracle workers. Not because they have a secret to do miracles. But because, they did not turn around. Avraham Avinu didn't turn around. And often his children didn't turn around. And therefore the rules of nature didn't apply to them, not because the rules of nature are not real, but because the rules of nature hold in their grip those who believe in nature. If you can't run less than four miles, you can't run a certain speed, you can't, Taka. And who doesn't believe in laws of nature? How could you not believe in laws of nature? From the moment you're born, you and your mother and your family are defined by laws of nature. So you can't blame somebody for believing in the laws of nature. They live in a world of Teva. And therefore nature is Mechai of them. And therefore Torah says, Ein Shem Chinal Anes, you're not allowed to. Comes Avram Avin, it says, Lech Lecha Meyartzachem Ladachem Beisavich. Artzachem is your land, Meladachem is your birth, Beisavich is your father's home. Why three things? And the question is, if you left your country, you already left your birthplace. And if you left your birthplace, you already left your father's home. You don't tell somebody, leave the United States of America. Leave Brooklyn, and then leave your house on Carroll Street, this and this address. Right? If you left America, you left Brooklyn. You say, leave your house 
on Union Street. Leave Brooklyn and also leave America. But he starts Lechachamayartzacha, then Meladcha, then Besavich. So Chsidus explains that there's three paradigms of human existence. One is Artzacha, one is Meladcha, one is Besavich. And here we see in history there were three Jews, brilliant Jews in later generations, who each came up with a different theory of what molds history and therefore what molds humanity and what molds nations and cultures collectively and individually. There was Spinoza, and there was Marx, and there was Freud. Baruch Spinoza from Amsterdam, and Karl Marx, and then Sigmund Freud or Schlemmel of Freud, if you wish. He's known more as, better as Sigmund Freud. The difference was Marx said everything is the economy. <laughs> right? Belashna, you do in America, it's the economy, stupid. Everything is the economy. Everything is ownership. That's basically what it's about. What makes people happy, what makes them miserable is what they own, what they have. And therefore, if you could create an equilibrium and some normalcy and some uh, equality within the economy, so then there'll be peace in the world and thus socialism was created and communism was created. So the first thing Hashem tells Abraham, go away from the conception that everything is about land. It has an influence, but go away from that. The second was Spinoza. Spinoza believed that biology, natural biology, is what defines ultimately human destiny. Every person has a naturalistic biology. There's the biology of the world. And there's the biology of every human being, including genes, what we call today genes, and uh, the DNA, and which includes disposition and character and, and habit and so on and so forth. And that's what defines a person. So he sells the second thing is Meladatacha. Meladatacha means inborn nature. Freud believed that everything is based on what happened with your father and mother. The libido. Especially between a son and a father, or a daughter and a mother, although also a son and a mother and a daughter, but especially the son and the father. So the father, what happened in the father's house by the father and by the mother, that's what influences a child. So therefore he says the third thing is Mebesavich. This is not, this doesn't, this doesn't deny the fact that Artsicha, what a person has, has an influence. And Maladcha's influence, a Beisavicha. It tells him that this exists if you want it to exist. And if you agree that it exists. When you say you want it to exist, people say, okay, I don't want it to exist. But do they really not want it to exist? Do they even know what it means that it doesn't exist? We sometimes push away things with one hand, but we invite it with another hand. You have to push things away with two hands. What's wrong with pushing away with one hand? When you push it away with one hand, what it means on another level, you're going like this. This may be visible, this may be invisible. Make sure both hands. Sometimes a person says, I'm not interested in this. Or I really don't want this, but do they really don't want it? Are they really even to understand that it, are they even ready to understand that it doesn't exist? This will be the story of your children. This will be the secret of Judaism. This is the essence of Judaism. I once heard from Rabbi Groner that Rabbi Leibel Groner was a Fabrengen and the Rebbe asked something should be done at the Fabrengen. So uh, Sunday morning when the Rebbe came uh, to the office from his house, he asked Rabbi Groner if anything was done about what he asked. So Rabbi Groner said that there was a meeting, Mitzvah Shabbos, and they have a lot of questions. 
about it, how it could be done, and what do you do with this problem, and this problem, and this problem. She said that Reb made with his hand. And he said, ah, when Moshe Rabbeinu led the Jewish people to the Yamsuf, and they had a question, Mitzrayim is here, the Yamsuf is here. So he said if they wouldn't have asked questions, they would have just walked right to there would be no Yamsuf. But once you start asking questions, so you came running to God, so he says, take a stick and split the water. So the Rebbe, even the miracle of Kriyas Yamsuf was also not such a good choice. Because it was, came with problems. So he said if they would have just done it on Shilas, it would have been successful. But yet, Haitman on Flag and Shilas, so now Taka, there's a lot of problems. So what's Pshat? What, what do you mean? Either there's a problem or there's no problem, whether it's a real question or not. So the Vart was if they would have taken Kapashat. Since the Rebbe said this is what should be done, so Mela could be done. Because Tzadikim Daimon Labaydam, Tzadikim reflect their creator. So if this is the Ratzin Hashem, so he's the boss of the universe, so it could be done. The moment already I define myself in other terminology, oh, there's another boss, fine. If I accept you as my boss, so you're my boss, then I have to ask your permission. And then attack becomes that way. Nature says no, so it can't be done, there's questions. This is the story. So you see, when people ask about different, people don't understand, they think, let me explain to you something, and maybe, maybe this is not such a nice thing to say, but it's the truth. The difference between real a real Jew and not a real Jew is far different than the most religious Jew and the most secular Jew. You understand what I'm saying? You can have the most religious Jew who does everything, everything, and the most secular Jew does nothing. But the closeness between those two versus the Jew of the model of Avram Avinu is totally different. Because the real Nekudah of Judaism is Lech Lecha. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes people think that they completely personify the Jew versus the other person who doesn't completely personify the Jew. That's a very superficial perspective. It has its own truth, but it's a superficial perspective. The difference between that Jew who does everything and Avram Avinu is an infinite one. The difference between him and the person who does much less is a finite one. This guy does more things, less things. The Lech Lecha is by none of them. They're both defined within a particular orbit. The Lech Lecha is missing by that. And that Lech Lecha is already a different experience. This now is the secret of Koy. Avram Avinu is going with Yitzchak. So he says, He should say, Problem is, there's a major issue here. God told him, here, you're going to have a child. Your children will be like the stars. Suddenly God tells him, take Yitzchak and slaughter Yitzchak wasn't married yet. There were no children. If he was had children, fine. He wasn't married yet. So basically, you tell me I'm going to have a nation like stars. Here's the kid. And now you tell me to kill him. So one second. So I believe in God. I have no problem. I believe in you. But one thing. either You tell me you don't have, you're not going to have children. You're not destined to have children. Mr. Snafish, fine. No! Be a nation, a big nation. I'll kill him. So Avraham Avinu said, Ani v'hanar at koi. Koi Just as God is not defined by laws of gravity, right? And you fall only because you acknowledge that you could fall. Even the very paradoxes of the mind, even the very paradoxes of the mind melt away in the presence of truth. 
Aniva Hanar Nelchaat Koi. Count the stars, but you can't count stars. There it was settled. God told him the last minute, don't, uh, don't kill him. So it came, it was fine. But the Nekuda was, Aniva Hanar Nelchaat Koi. So that Koi is Arech and that Koi are very deeply connected. And therefore, by Dabra Hashem al-Moshalem, Dabra al-Aram Rabban of Lamer, Koi Sevarecho is B'nai Yisrael. What is the blessing? Yivarechecha Hashem b'yishmerecha. Yor Hashem ponav eilecha v'chuneka. Yisa Hashem ponav eilecha v'yasem l'cha shalom. It's the concept of Yisa Hashem ponav eilecha, you should show his face to you. That's the Chiddush of Berches Koyenim. Yivarechecha Hashem, Yor Hashem ponav eilecha. That comes because of the Koi. Of it's not two separate things. It's actually living by koi means living in a presence of consciousness. Of yoyr Hashem That's the expression of Berches Kayana. Have a wonderful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.